What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Content is king, says Ultimate Insider Ari Emanuel. Across the board, everybody's spending. The head of the multi-billion dollar William Morris Endeavor on a new golden age. There's no indication that there's a less of a spend. There's actually just more buyers. And Tom Friedman of the New York Times on China. Everything we use today in a digitized world is both a weapon and a tool. I have a Chinese-made toaster. When I toast my bagel in the morning, does the PLA know that I like it a little brown? You know what I mean? The very high stakes while President Biden meets China's leader face-to-face. The U.S.-China relationship is the most important geopolitical and geoeconomic relationship today. Plus, the FTX crypto collapse collapses on. I don't know where this leads. Does this lead to criminal charges? what it means to investors. But the money is gone. We'll see. The money is likely gone to money heaven. All that and more today. It is Monday, November 14th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. There's so many things swirling around, but the collapse of FTX um, all weekend long, you had to think that it was uh, on crypto traders' minds. The firm's new CEO and chief restructuring officer says that the bankrupt crypto exchange is removing trading and withdrawals, also moving digital assets to a so-called cold wallet custodian, and this is after FTX says it's investigating a hack, suspected $477 million hack. FTX says unauthorized transactions began within hours of its Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing in the United States. FTX's new CEO says the exchange is coordinating with law enforcement authorities and regulators about that breach. Meantime, some FTX users appear to be cashing out of the bankrupt crypto exchange through a Bahamas loophole. The exchange is only allowing withdrawals in the Bahamas and reports suggest high net worth users are paying astronomical prices for NFTs put up for sale by Bahamian users, Bahamian users. Data firms uh, Argus calls the trading patterns unusual and suggests that this could mean that traders are cutting deals with users in the Bahamas to receive assets back once they've been withdrawn from FTX. And another part of the story reports say that uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's Alameda Research traded billions of dollars from FTX accounts and leveraged the exchange's native tokens as collateral. I think, I mean, we kind of conjectured that that was the case, but a little more uh, detail, more meat on the bones for what was actually happening. I don't know, I don't know where this leads. Does, it, does this lead to criminal charges? Does it, what, what, we don't know. And there's <laughs> lots of speculation about that. Hard to say for sure. But look, Anthony Scaramucci told us the other day on Friday when he talked about this that yes, he took some of the money that he was given and invested it back in crypto coins, including Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto coin, which means that you're pricing up that coin at whatever money. We've made a big commitment to this uh, industry and this sector of the economy 
because this is just a better technology for transacting. And over time, I believe throughout economic history, when products are better, they eventually get adopted. Look at the terms of service. It appears that when you invested money on the, on the exchange, it was not money that was therefore accessible to the rest of the platform or to, to Alameda or somebody else to go trade. So it's not, I, I it's think- It's not a clear case of- No, no, I think it's actually probably, it could be very well, unfortunately, a clear case for him uh, of, of, of when you commingle funds, you have a problem. And I think that this could have been more than just quote unquote commingle funds. Now look, in his defense, he says that it was a labeling issue, that he didn't know that this was, a, was a this. And I don't know. But the money's gone. We'll see. The, the money has likely gone to money heaven. And, um, you know, I, if you look, depending on which reports you read, this thing called Cointelegraph that says the Bohemian authorities are, you know, monitoring his whereabouts and monitoring him. And he's at his hotel, though, his hotel or his hotel, his penthouse apparently is all of a sudden now on the on market. market for like 38 There's speculation that he's going to go off to, you know, Dubai or try to go to some place where you can't these be extradited. The, and by the way, in the, the Bahamas, you can be extradited, interestingly. These are nouveau rich bohemians, you said, that, that are, or Baham, oh, you meant <laughs> that people, uh, I, I was, they could be bohemian Bahamians. Bahamians. One person who didn't look affected by all this was Tom Brady. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> going through a divorce, he's got this, he was, uh, had a great game. Meantime, let's talk about uh, some other crypto stuff because uh, another crypto exchange is on, coming under scrutiny over the weekend. Crypto.com, in an effort to reassure customers, publishing its cold wallet addresses and latest balances. Then it came, uh, then came to light uh, the fact that the exchange made an error while transferring a large sum of Ether, equivalent to about $400 million. Instead of sending it to cold storage, the exchange sent it to another account, uh, to, uh, to another exchange called Gate. Uh, the mistake circulated on Twitter, sending their cryptocurrency Cron down more than 20% in customer withdrawals from the exchange. In a statement on Sunday, a spokesperson saying, quote, the ETH transfers were made over three weeks ago on October 21st. Crypto.com proceeded to withdraw the funds back to its cold wallets over the following days. And tomorrow we'll be speaking with the company's CEO first, right here on CNBC, about the error and the fallout across the industry from FTX's collapse. All right, in corporate news, Disney is going to be telling employees that layoffs are likely as the company will reportedly announce several cost-cutting moves. The Wall Street Journal says that's according to a memo to executives from Disney CEO Bob Chapek. Hiring and non-essential travel has been frozen and a review of recommended spending cuts are to be released. That memo does not indicate when the cuts will happen or how many jobs will be eliminated. That stock up by about a half a percent. In Twitter news, Elon Musk's SpaceX just bought a big ad campaign on the social media platform. It's going to be promoting the Starlink satellite internet service on Twitter in Spain and Australia. The ad campaign is called a Twitter takeover. This is when a company puts its brand on the top of the main Twitter timeline for a full day. One of these packages normally costs upwards of $250,000. SpaceX has not previously been a big advertiser on Twitter. Uh, some folks uh, seeing this as a way to shore up. Uh, it's not real. I, I would say those the, the cynics who say and there is a cynical thing to say here, which is, you know, Elon Musk taking money from one pocket and putting it in another. And, you know, but at the same time, two hundred fifty thousand dollars is it's not, not much, going right. to change, change the dynamic. And to some degree, I think is a, an experiment for him to try to understand how advertising works on the platform and how 
um, effective it is or is not. In fact, a lot of the uh, folks that he's been replying to on Twitter have been about the advertising, which is to say that advertising on Twitter historically has not been nearly as effective as an Instagram or a Facebook a, or, a, or a TikTok or other I places. mean, it's a weird brand for that because it's consumer brands and direct-to-consumer that tend to work best on all of these social media things because you can see if somebody's going to buy something right. instantaneously. What are you going to buy? A, a trip into space? No, no, no. It's for Starlink. Oh, for Starlink to see if you're actually selling. Starlink is a product. You can right, buy the, the product. You can, you can buy. That's an expensive product. Um, I mean, it's not. That ex- it was, yes, a couple hundred dollars yeah. as a product, and then obviously you have a subscription. But that's how you'd sell it. I mean, I think that's, okay. that'd be one, right, one of I the ways you'd sell it. So. I take it back. We'll see. The, the it's weird. Elon it, it, like responds to crazy stuff. Did you see him go? Uh, no, about people. <laughs> uh, John Laguerre. Yeah. Uh, John Laguerre. Well, you know, there's been a whole bunch of people who've been. You know, John he, he put, put himself, himself out up. there and yeah, said he wanted it. Yeah. And then Marcello, who worked with him, said he should be it. And then uh, Kramer and a whole a whole bunch of people right. said it. And then and he Musk says, "No, I'm going to be this." Um. Dot. 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 Cheese will be next. Coming up, he was once known as the super agent, Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel on the state of media, and confronting anti-Semitism from celebrities like Kyrie Irving and Kanye West. I don't think there's any place in the world for kind of hate or any of that. I also stand by it if he's actually willing to do the work and learn about anti-Semitism and what that all means, I'd be the first lining up like I was with Mel Gibson. Squawk Pod will be right back. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. The Black Panther sequel, Wakanda Forever, dominating the box office. It actually scored the second biggest opening weekend of the year, beating out Top Gun Maverick, The Batman, and Thor Love and Thunder with $180 million in U.S. ticket sales. In the meantime, take a look at the performance of media companies over the last 52 weeks. Paramount and Warner Brothers Discovery down over more than 50%. Disney and Comcast not far behind. And joining us right now with more on the content landscape is Ari Emanuel. He is the CEO of Endeavor. And Ari, it's great to have you here. Nice to be here. So, and actually, it's nice to be in person. It is in nice person. to have you on Incredible. the set. It's been, it's been, uh, it's been far too like long. Two, three years, yeah. So you are the, the content guru. And there has been all this talk about how content is going to go down, just in terms of the money that's been put at it. Right. It's what we've been hearing from Warner Brothers, from all of the studio heads, saying we're not going to spend as much. You provide a counterfactual to that. What are you seeing? Well, if you saw, everybody said they're going to make cuts. Disney most recently. Actually, uh, Netflix went through it. 
but really, then Disney comes out, they're going to be spending $30, million, $30 billion, maybe 33. Netflix says they're going to stay at the 17 billion, maybe even go up based on subs. They're adding AVOD services. There's no indication in any of these cuts um, that they're going down in content spend. Um, and uh, they can all talk about it. I think they have to talk about it for Wall Street. But in reality, the own, the proc the, people are coming to their services for new content, movies, television, documentary, and sports. They're staying there. Um, at Amazon, it's sticky because of Thursday night football right now. They'll talk about it. Maybe their ad, their ad spends are getting a little bit less, but I think they're just learning that as they move into Thursday. And across the board, you have, you know, Paramount went from $2 billion to $6 billion. You got Roku coming in. Everybody's spending. And now the movie business, as we know, seeing this movie, Black Adam, is, I think globally is at 300, over $300 million. The movie business is actually back, too, at the theaters. So there's no indication um, that there's a less of a spend. There's actually just more buyers, plus all the buyers on the linear side and the SVOT side, these like Disney, like a Warner Brothers, like have to defend the old system while going moving into the new system. And then you have the Netflix and Amazon and Apple sitting there spending against them too. So you have about seven or eight buyers plus the traditional movie business. It's not, there's no chance that uh, spending is going down. Your revenue was up in your earnings last week, and I guess that's proof of it. What about the stuff that you're negotiating right now? Is there any sign that there's a... I mean, it has to be a storyline that at least they bring when they're trying to renegotiate things. Saying, I think hey, there's I'm a storyline for you guys and maybe for the street. I just finished a, a fairly significant deal with Amazon with Tyler Perry. There's movies but happening all over. There's, there's maybe, maybe the budget stays flat, potentially. But the, no, there's the budgets less, are flat. Okay, but let's say less, less overall new content. Maybe they're going to spend more on certain packages. No. No? No. There's more content than there's ever been. You think there's going to be? I mean, we you could think there's going to be just straight volume? Because part of the problem over the last three years is there's been volume without quality. Well, I, I completely differ, disagree with that statement. You guys can all talk about what you guys like and don't like. He, last week was Jeffrey Dahmer. You now have The Crown coming out. You have this movie this weekend. I don't. You might not like everything. But you have your things that you like, and you can all go around. We have about five or six things that we're watching all at once. No, I don't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. The um, right now. Between sports, sports, movies, television. When we define content and podcasts, it's a broad spectrum. You guys here are just focusing on movies and television. But you know, when you talk about content, which I'm in, it goes from books. Podcasts, right. sports, movies, television, documentaries. But here's the thing. I mean, a lot of the whole podcast model, you look at what Wondery was doing. Mm -hmm. They on a, on a limited, the whole idea was we may lose money actually making the podcast itself. Mm. But for it to work, we have to then sell it off to Netflix or somebody else mm. to actually and, and get a TV show out of it. That's how. And in an environment where that is harder to do, it changes the dynamic it, on the podcast. It, You're seeing it. I, I've had those conversations with people. I would say you to you. Never as, heard what I'm I would, talking about. I would say to you as I've just finished up a Rachel Maddow podcast. I'm in negotiation with possibly two major writers to make it into a movie. Um, we've just finished over the last this quarter um, over I think it's a hundred million dollars in podcast deals. I appreciate you're talking about it from the buying side of the community. I sit not that this is about me. I'm just talking in general. 
on the selling side of the, of the equation, the business has never been better. You, you've definitely got a better I got a better equation than we do. But I, let me just run through all the Warner Brothers Discovery cancellations. Batgirl, Strange Adventures, Batman Cape Crusader, Merry Little Batman, Scooby-Doo, The Day the Earth Blew Up, Bye Bye Bunny. I mean, was that really just something they had to get rid of old stuff that was in there and then move on? I, I think the, the last regime, they had problems with the... Um, with where the content was on quality from their perspective. But when David walked in, and I represent Sam Levinson, and he has Euphoria, which I love the show, and he has a new show um, with The Weeknd uh, called Idol. It, was a, you know, it wasn't working creatively. They dumped more money in to make five episodes. It's incredible right now. And so, yes, I, you can point to those, but then there's the other side of that equation, which you guys aren't talking about, where there's, you know, they're doubling down on content because it's quality. So uh, from where we sit in the equation, and I know it's difficult from the buying, they've all made their bets because at the time, it was spend money and get data on the SVOD services plus defend the rest. And that was working in the market. Now you're sitting in a situation where you guys are asking them to be profitable. So there's under, they're under a lot of pressure and that's why you see the, you know, the returns down 30, 40, 50%. From our perspective, there's more demand for content every and you get the same pool of people creating content so that means prices are going on just on a supply and demand side what about uh, foreign exchange the strong dollar that yeah. that was a headwind for you yes. this time around and I, by the way i was i i know you watch the markets really closely when yeah. you were here last time you stuck around to see i don't know if it was the jobs number or one of the inflation yeah. numbers this stuff matters yes oh yeah we, you know foreign exchange i think is hitting every company it hit us in a significant uh, way Plus a couple things moved into the next year, and we sold some stuff early. Um, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a problem, uh, I think, for a lot of companies, which on the revenue side, it didn't affect our EBITDA, but on the revenue side, yeah. You a, a, a PGA guy or a Live guy or both? I'm a PGA guy. What, what, what's going to happen with with Live? Do you, think? Will I, you represent people that, that? No, we don't represent anybody on the Live tournament. Um, you know. Uh, I think uh, Jay's doing a good job. He's figuring out new economics for the players. Um, and so I think uh, you'll see the points situation for players, I think, play out and who gets into the majors, which I think is going to be a big issue for Liv. So you've said no? If you, you won't represent someone who, who wants Not to. like we won't represent them, but we just don't. Oh, it's not like you would? It's so well, you, you would. You um, would or you wouldn't? Uh, uh, we, we, we right now don't represent any of the attorneys and we don't represent any of the players. Yeah, but that wasn't what he said. Um, he said uh, you would or you wouldn't. Okay, my brother's a politician. I'm trying to follow <laughs> on his <laughs> footsteps. Well, no, I mean, look, he was one of the first people to actually give back the money, the investment, <laughs> if you remember, I mean. so, in Saudi. Okay. That's why, I mean, just to contextualize why, we're at, why the question's being asked. Right. Okay. And? We don't You're represent. We don't represent any of the tournaments, and we don't right, represent right, any so of the you, players. You, but you, you don't. You but just you, want to keep on pushing on that. Well, you, you're outspoken when it comes to things you disagree with, like exactly. the op-ed you just wrote about Kanye West yeah. and taking a stand on that. I have to ask you what you think about um, Kyrie Irving and the situation mm -hmm. he's in with the Nets. What, what did you think of Dave Chappelle's um, SNL monologue this weekend? So if we take them one by one, on the Kanye thing, I stand by my op-ed piece, and I also stand by. Um, I don't think there's any place in the world for kind of hate or, um, or any of that. I also stand by if he's actually willing to do the work and learn about anti-Semitism and what that all means, um, I'd be the first lining up like I was with, with Mel Gibson. With Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson right. is, so there's a way back for Kanye? If he truly wants to learn about the history of the relationship between Jews and black people and everything else, yes. 
Kyrie is, I think Adam's trying to handle that in the best possible way. Um, Adam Silver, the uh, yeah, Adam uh, Silver, commissioner the, of the NBA. The commissioner of the NBA. And as it relates to Dave Chappelle, listen, do I agree with all comedy? No. Did I think it was funny? Yes. Am I going to, like, I, I don't think he, he, he has to have the ability to do comedy. That We can't be sitting there kind of every little nuance and negotiating that. He was, I thought he was very funny. What should be on Twitter? Elon's your friend. Yeah. What should be on Twitter? And your board member. Not anymore. Yeah, but what should be on He's not my friend anymore? No. Is, is he still he a board, board member? No, he's not he's a board, not board member. member. No, he's not a board, not a board member anymore. What should be on Twitter? What do you mean by what should be on Twitter? I'm there, there was a time when the ACLU marched with the Nazis in Skokie because they said that they despise what they're saying, but they have to have free speech. Right. Yes. So my how, brother and my father were at the demonstration against them, but so how do what do you think? So how does what's the right path? Well, you can ha how, you how have do you thread, how does Elon thread that needle? He's gonna. I think right now, if we're talking just Elon in general, he yep. is figuring out the platform and what it should be and how it should, you know, represent free speech in there. You can, you have to have a form for people to speak. You just don't have the ability to kind of, in, in that big of a form, scream fire and not have some consequences. He will figure that out, um, I think. It's not gonna be, it's gonna be rough at the beginning, but if there's anybody that can figure it out and is gonna be thoughtful about it, it will be him. Trump be back on? Um, I don't think Trumpy wants to be back on. He's, on, he's got his own should, platform. He's got his own, he's got, would, would you let him back? He's, he's got his own platform. Would if he's actually telling the truth and not lying, yeah. That could disqualify a lot of people on, on Twitter, well, obviously. I don't know who's the judge. But. Well, I don't know who the judge is. Yeah. Someone's got to decide. Yeah. Were you at uh, Leo's birthday party? My son, Leo? I don't know if there's Leo DiCaprio's party. No. You didn't go to that. Because you were, no. last time you were in town, you were going everywhere else. No, no, no. I, I'm in town. I'm in town for you guys. And this weekend, That's we had so the nice. UFC. So I was so in nice. town yeah. for, our, for our fight. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. What was it? Like, it's only been six years that it's been in New York City? So we've had um, 27 in a row sellouts for the UFC. The number one and number two at Madison Square Garden. Um, biggest. Um, mm -hmm. We've had six of our last eight hit records of sellouts, um, and this was the uh, fifth largest sellout we've ever had. So it was an incredible evening, um, six hours of great programming. Um, Disney was incredible and ESPN, so. Did you not get an, an invite? Does no, I didn't, you, I didn't. He, he, did still, he wants to go back to this party. Oh, did, did, uh, no, who's, who represents Leo right now? Uh, this guy by the name of Rick Yorn. Rick Yorn. You represent me, we should, we should okay. probably disclose okay. that. I don't know why. Uh, you're like a bombastic Bushkin. What okay. was uh, Johnny Carson's guy, remember? No, I don't remember. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not old enough. <laughs> <laughs> Very quickly on the way out the door, you have not seen any slow, uh, slowness in growth, I mean, it's slowness in demand for live events, because we're in just fact, trying to figure out the uh, In fact, we look at it, you know, I'm, I'm cautious, but I, I'm just looking at the world. We had a huge opening up for our free art fair in Seoul, 100 galleries, 70,000 people showed up. We had a big festival in London, sold out. This week we have um, Winter Wonderland going on sale. I've talked about our UFC stuff. Super Bowl is selling this year coming up incredibly well. And for 16 months from now, it's, beat, right. it's ahead of category from when the LA. So right now, and, and Live Nation is talking about 23 being great, I think people, Instead of buying things during COVID, they're now wanting experiences. 
And that's what we're seeing right now. Ari, wow. thank you for coming in. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> thank I appreciate you. it. Next on Squawk Pod, President Biden and President Xi of China meeting face to face today. The New York Times foreign affairs columnist Tom Friedman on the high stakes of the U.S.'s intertwined relationship with the world's second largest economy. Our attitude to China was, you know, we really don't care whether you're authoritarian, libertarian or vegetarian because we're just buying your shallow stuff. But when they could suddenly sell us deep stuff like Huawei 5G, then the difference in values between us really started to stress the relationship. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Leaders of the G20, the largest economies in the world, are gathering in Indonesia today for an in-person summit. You and I have had a number of candid and useful conversations. Mr. President, it's good to see you. President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping are sitting down, meeting face-to-face for the first time since Biden took office. In this moment of great global challenges, from global inflation to the climate crisis to Russia's brutal war against Ukraine, we're bringing together the broadest possible coalition of partners to deliver results. The stakes are high for this discussion. Relations are at a low point between the two countries. China restricted communication after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan this summer. And questions remain about China's relationship with Russia following the invasion of sovereign Ukraine. China still plans to buy oil and gas from Moscow this winter. Andrew Ross Sorkin takes it from here. Kayla Tauscher joins us now with the latest. Kayla. Well, Andrew, this is the most consequential meeting of President Biden's term so far. It lasted nearly three hours in Bali just before the bulk of the G20 summit was set to get underway. The readout from the White House that was released just a few moments ago says that a lot of the topics that we expected to be discussed were in fact discussed, that the two countries agreed that nuclear war should not be fought. They condemned any possible use of nuclear weapons in Ukraine by Russia and that they agreed that no nuclear war could be won. It's interesting to note that in the lead up to this meeting in recent months as the planning got underway, the expectation both in Washington and Beijing would be that President Xi would have consolidated power domestically while perhaps uh, President Biden would have lost some domestically in the midterms. That is not the case. So President Biden arrived in this meeting not flat-footed, having in recent weeks escalated the economic ante with China and some headlines that just came out from Chinese state media say that President Xi has condemned a trade war or a technology war, saying that those run counter to the principles of a market economy and undermine international trade rules. Guys, back to you. Okay. Kayla Tausche in Washington this morning for us. We're just happy for the common ground. At least we can agree that we don't want to fight a nuclear war. There should be no nuclear war. Yep. We, we, we have things in common. That's awesome. Tom Friedman is the New York Times foreign affairs columnist, and he joins us this morning. First of all, Tom, good morning. It's good to see you. You too, Becky. Thanks. 
So let, let's talk about what's riding on this. You know, well, obviously, the U.S.-China relationship is the most important uh, geopolitical and geoeconomic relationship in the world uh, today. And um, uh, obviously markets, but also just average global citizens. I want to know that um, uh, there's some boundaries on this relationship that it's not going to deteriorate. Uh, it's going to be hugely important for markets and hugely important just for the stability of the world. Yeah, I would say economically, there's a lot riding on that, but it almost pales in comparison to some of the other talk that's out there at this point. You know, Cold War, even a hot war. Well, you know, um, our relationship with China, Becky, is just so unusual that, um, you know, during World War II with Nazi Germany, Nazi Germany was a uh, economic peer and a military peer. In the Cold War, the Soviet Union was a military peer, but uh, not an economic peer. We, the only thing they sold us we cared about was uh, caviar and uh, matryoshka dolls and vodka. Um, what is so unusual about the U.S.-China relationship is that it's an economic peer. Um, it's a geopolitical peer, or increasingly so, and we're completely intertwined. So we really never had this kind of relationship with another power uh, in, in the modern era. And so sorting out how you manage those three vectors is, is just really difficult. I think it's really interesting, something you wrote in a column earlier this month where you talked about this new mindset that Western multinational companies have at this point. Anybody who's looking to decide where to put a factory has this ABC mentality, you said. It's anywhere but China. What a, what a shift this has, has made, and that's a big deal, not just for these multinationals, but also for China. How, how are they feeling with that strain? Yeah, it was coined by my colleague in, in Beijing, Keith Bradshaw, you know, um, that for every multinational now, many are still obviously doing business in China, some expanding. But in terms of building their next supply chain, um, it really is anywhere but China. And that what column I wrote about Becky was really saying, you know, if China were a democracy today, one of the biggest questions that it would be asking itself is, who lost America? Who lost America? I mean, this country um, had the biggest, freest, most powerful and influential lobby in Washington, D.C. that any country or company could ever imagine. They had the U.S. business community. That, that business community was always the buffer in the relationship um, and always an advocate for stronger, deeper economic ties with, with China and, and, and stable uh, geopolitical ones. And in many ways, China lost that business community. Uh, too many companies felt that uh, they weren't being treated fairly or weren't getting out of the China market what they'd hoped for. And they basically kind of drifted away. And that, to me, is one of the biggest structural changes in the relationship. Does Xi Jinping care? I mean, it, it's not a democracy. It's yeah. a complete totalitarian. Uh, oh, uh, he, has, he has to care because um, when the motto is among global multinationals anywhere but China, um, you know, that, that plays out in the long term. Fewer companies investing in China, fewer companies uh, transferring technology to China. Uh, that, that's a huge challenge for Xi Jinping. So lay out how much dicier this gets if we were already in a situation where we know it's a symbiotic relationship, we rely on each other in a lot of ways. If that fractures and kind of falls apart because it didn't look like it was working, then what? Well, that would be a terrible thing. You know, I really believe, Beck, if you look back um, in the last you know, 40, 50 years, the, the period 1979 to 2019 was an epoch in, in U.S.-China relations. I call it the epoch of unconscious integration, where if you were an American company, you wanted to have a supply chain in China, a factory in China. You wanted your kid to study at Beijing University. Um, you just did it. 
And if you're a Chinese, you wanted to buy a factory in Ohio, you wanted to send your kid to uh, Ohio State, you want to be listed on the NASDAQ, you just did it. And over those 40 years, we really became one country, two systems. We were the real one country, two systems, not Hong Kong and China. Um, and, and two things flowed from, from that level of integration. One, uh, some 800 million people came out of abject poverty around the world. It was really the driver of globalization. And secondly, there was no great power conflict. Yes, we had wars, but there was no great power conflict like we're seeing today. And um, unfortunately, that, that period is over. And now we're in the transition to see what comes next. Can we, these two peer rivals, foster a relationship that, that at least preserves the, a lot of the benefits of that last 40 years, but deals with the fact that we are peer rivals, we are going to compete, and we don't share values? You know, during those 40 years, what happened really, Beck, the biggest structural changes for 30 of those 40 years, China sold us what I call shallow goods. Goods we wore on our shoulders, tennis shoes we wore on our feet, solar panels we put on our roof. They were shallow, basically. We sold China deep goods, software and hardware. And then one day, about 10 years ago, China, and by the way, when we bought their shallow stuff and they bought our deep stuff, our attitude to China was, you know, we really don't care whether you're authoritarian, libertarian, or vegetarian, because we're just buying your shallow stuff. But when they could suddenly sell us deep stuff like Huawei 5G, then the difference in values between us really, really started to stress the relationship. Hey, Tom, one of the questions, and we've talked about this on, on our broadcast a lot in the past couple of weeks, is if, if there ever really was an invasion of Taiwan, what do you think American companies that are based in China would have to do? We saw them, uh, so many of them, leave Russia, for example, uh, after the invasion of Ukraine. And I'm thinking of the Starbuckses of the world, the Nikes of the world, the Apples of the world. And how much of that is a, a genuine risk that, that is either properly priced or not priced in the marketplace? Well, if China were paying attention to the dynamic, Andrew, in the Ukraine war, what, what really happened was, um, uh, I'm just making this up, but, but this is the, the dynamic that happened. Um, basically, some employee on Starbucks um, uh, went on, on Slack and posted a picture of a, a Russian you know, massacre or, or terrible damage to Ukraine, um, discussed it with their colleagues on Facebook, and then they did not ask their CEO to get out of Russia. They told their CEO, we're getting out of Russia. That there's a whole new dynamic now driven from the bottom up of activist employees saying, we are not going to be party to you know, uh, helping this country. And, and China would face that challenge in spades. Imagine what China's, you know, imagine what U.S. McDonald's employees or Starbucks employees would do if but they Tom, saw China. the economics are completely, I mean, so much more complicated insofar as, you know, it's a small piece of McDonald's business uh, to get out of Russia. It becomes it becomes a big piece for Apple, it becomes a big piece for Starbucks. I mean, where, where it, it just changes the entire equation of what the companies are. All, all, all the more reason why China should not do this, because that is all true, Andrew, but I don't think that would stop that dynamic. I think you'd see a lot of American consumers just saying we are not going to uh, you know, buy goods from China if they're, if they're destroying, raping or ravaging Taiwan. Uh, I think that this, this bottom up dynamic of consumers and employees pressuring companies would be very much alive in that situation. It's kind of a tightrope to walk, Tom. And I remember a couple uh, months ago, you were very concerned about uh, alienating China because you saw some cooperation in terms of the Putin problem. That, that uh, I mean, it's tough for us to really see China as, as, an, as an ally. And it's like we're almost picking the least bad option because you need to kind of overlook human rights in, in China. Because in the back of your mind, you know how important it is that, that they stay as kind of a, a wall against 
uh, I don't know, what, what Russia would do if China wasn't pushing back. And you still feel the same way. We need to, we need to kind of make any mistakes we make. In, in a, it's, in, it's an appeasement of China that we, we need to be comfortable with rather than poke the bear that could really uh, make things worse in Russia. Well, George, it's an important question. I wouldn't use the term appeasement, um, but I would say that I wouldn't go out of my way to provoke them for this reason. Biden had a very, Biden and uh, uh, Jake Sullivan, um, Tony Blinken, they had a very tough set of conversations with Beijing at the start of the Ukraine war. And they basically said, you better not be militarily aiding Russia. And the Chinese, making their own calculations, by the way, we told them if you did, you could you could really endanger your two biggest foreign export markets, the EU and the United States. They, for their own calculations, decided not to do that. That was a very important geopolitical uh, advantage for us, that China did not aid uh, President Putin. That's still the case. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's appeasement to say that, but it's very important that we preserve that, which is why I oppose Nancy Pelosi's trip to, to Taiwan. That's what it was. That was the issue. So why provoke them when they've done something for their own interest, but that was very much in our interest. But it, we, it's like we need to take a shower, sort of, regardless of who we're yeah. dealing with, kind of. Well, that's, right? that's not the only country we do that with. Yeah, we, yeah. we, we, we need a lot of showers. Welcome, to, you, welcome of to U.S. Saudi relations, you know. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> hey, hey, Tom, what, um, I guess, what are the warning things that we should be watching for? What else? Yeah, you know, I mean, again, one of the new things, Becky, in this relationship um, uh, is that we live now in an age very different from the Nixon, you know, uh, Kissinger era, where every um, uh, everything we use today in a digitized world is both a weapon and a tool. As Brad Smith from Microsoft wrote a book about that. When I when I have a Chinese-made toaster, when I toast my bagel in the morning, does the PLA know that I like it a uh, little brown? You know what I mean? TikTok. You know? Oh, I thought I was just watching goofy videos. You know? Are they actually tracking my behavior online? And this is one of the deeper new problems in the relationship, that everything is dual use. Everything we buy from them, everything we sell to them. And so, you know, I think that the, the best we can hope for out of this meeting is, is really to keep having meetings, um, to keep talking. To, if I were scripting this relationship to me, Biden and she would have a phone call once a month. Uh, hey, what you're doing there is really bothering me. Um, what you're doing there, you know, could really helpful for me. You do that, we'll do this. I don't think we're going to solve the, the fundamental structural tensions in this relationship. But at least if we can create a framework of sort of steady dialogue, that would be a big thing. I think the markets would like to see that in particular. Tom, thank you. Always good to see you, Tom Freeman. Nice. That is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Twitter, yeah, we know we talk about it a lot. Well, we're on it. You can tweet us at Squawk CNBC or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Have a great day, and we'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.